Good evening. Welcome to Desert Springs Church. Let's stand as God calls us to worship him. He is great and greatly to be praised. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Let's sing this together.
to us, but to God be glory alone. You may be seated. Well, welcome everyone. I'm Josiah Bellflower. I'm the missions minister here at Desert Springs. And if you didn't know, we are in the middle of missions emphasis week. We just had our auction closed down. Well, and through the auction, we were able to raise $12,412. Combined with your support from the barbecue we had on Sunday, we raised over $15,000. So thank you so much. This has been a great affirmation to the work that uh, Mr. G is doing and overseeing the translation of New Morning Mercies, Paul Tripp's book, into a local Arabic dialect. We actually overshot our goal, so we're just going to send all the remainder to, to them to help them establish a website or whatever they need to do to continue to provide resources in this area where they're experiencing a theological famine. Well, thank you. Uh, if you didn't notice, the band is quite new to us, uh, Christ Church, who we planted, if you don't know, five years ago about. We sent out Christ Church to downtown where they've been a faithful witness, and they get to come back and bless us every now and then. So they're leading worship. Thank you, guys. That's a sweet partnership that is just continuing to bless us in sur surprising ways, so thank you, and, uh, and let the elders know that we really appreciate you guys. Well, um, I actually have a book out for y'all in the uh, foyer. Uh, it's Raising Kids with a Heart for Mission. I have a quote for you that I think you'll like. It says, our lives are molded by the people we get to know and admire, and then it gives 10 points. I'll lead, read three. We can invite missionaries to stay in your home when they are visiting locally. Listen to their stories and ask lots of questions about their work. Read their email updates and write a response. They love that. So this is a really helpful book for you to go over with your kids uh, and, and train them up of the value of spreading the gospel to unreached places. So please pick this up. This is our gift to you. Uh, I'll leave that out there till Sunday, and then we're gonna, I'm going to actually give the rest to Christchurch so they can enjoy that. So uh, please grab one while you can. Also, we have our wood-cutting fellowship this Saturday at 8 a.m. We have a lot of wood that's been split and is ready to go to the res. They use this wood to heat their homes during the cold winters and to cook their food. You know, it's easy to think, well, it's like 1,000 degrees outside. Why are we bringing them firewood? But that's what everybody thinks, and then we don't realize they need it until the roads are frozen over and the tractor trailers are, you know, falling over on I-40. So we need to get ahead of that. So uh, please join us Saturday at 8 a.m. Uh, it's a sweet time of fellowship. It really is. Um, so please come. Well, we're going to have uh, Matthew Ellison preaching for us today. He's a member of our church, and he's the president of 1615, which is a missions agency that helps uh, churches reevaluate their mission strategy. They've been, he's been really helpful to us, and he's been helpful to many churches across this nation and even internationally. So it's a great joy to have you, Matthew. Thank you, brother. 
And then we're going to now have the C's come up, and I want to interview you guys. Come on up. Now, if you're tuning in at the house, hopefully your video is dark, um, but we're going we're gonna to still have the audio for you. But once this interview is done, uh, we're going to go back to video. So, can you guys update us on your family? How are you guys doing? What's new with you guys? Um, we are doing great. Uh, we've been back in Albuquerque for about two and a half weeks. Um, so we're feeling rested. We're starting to meet with people we've been enjoying time with. Extended family that lives here. And, um, yeah, in general, we're doing really well. We have four kids, for those of you who may not know. We have... A our two girls are 13 and 11, and our sons are 12 and 9, um, and they are enjoying the library and swimming and <laughs> all of the normal summertime activities. Lots of English. English, English everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, that's great. We're so glad to have you. Now, we were wondering, we'd like to join you in praying for the people you're sharing with, and we know you share the gospel with whomever you have the chance, but... Could you both name that one person, give us their English pseudonym of uh, that one person you're sharing with, most excited to share for, or just praying that God would open their ears? Yeah, I had a really neat opportunity uh, maybe a month or two before coming back to the States to share with a friend named Richard. Um, I work um, with, our, with our project in country with Richard, and his wife was sick. Uh, they're, they're poor. They don't have access to a lot of um, means. Um, but they took her to the doctor, and the doctor said, the, the machine we need to diagnose your wife is broken in our city, and we don't have another one. And so uh, I knew that they were going for this doctor's appointment, and I followed up with him, and I asked him, hey, how'd the doctor go? He said, they, they can't help her, they don't have a machine. And so I kind of left it, assuming they would go to another city where the necessary equipment was. And I saw him a week later, and he, he still hadn't gone. Anyhow, um, I, we took him and his wife to this other city to receive the medical care she needed, and... Um, I've talked to Richard before about matters of faith and the gospel, and it's always met with kind of a, you have your belief and I have mine, and we respect each other, and let's respect that difference between us. And on the car ride, it was about a four-hour round-trip uh, car ride, I said, I like to listen to the Bible when I drive, and it helps with my language, it's in, it's in the language we're working in. I said, would you be okay if we listen to uh, the gospel of Mark as we drive? It's just stories about Jesus. He said, yeah. So we listened to three chapters, then I paused because I didn't want to be like passive-aggressive playing the Bible, uh, you know, to him. Captive audience. Yeah, captive audience. <laughs> and I asked him what he thought, and uh, he, said it was, he said it was really good stories. So I said, are you okay if we keep listening? And so we actually listened to the entire gospel of Mark uh, on this trip, and, and we talked about the things we heard, how Jesus taught, how Jesus uh, treated uh, the poor, how he treated people who were sick, how he showed dignity to all men, and uh, he, he, he was really positive with what he heard. So pray that... Uh, the gospel of Mark would permeate Richard, and we'd have more opportunities to speak frankly about the gospel. Um, I would say for me, the, the one person that comes to mind is, uh, we call her Lisa, and uh, she was my language tutor six years ago when we started all of this. Um, so uh, Mr. C and I have had a lot of time with her over the years, and um, even in the early years when my language was still very, very bad, um, we would just get into these spiritual conversations. And um, I remember once, several years ago, sharing the gospel with her. And when we were talking about grace and how free grace is for us who believe, 
And you could see that she understood because her reaction, she was shocked and said, that's impossible. That What you're describing is impossible. So over the years, we've just uh, continued to have gospel conversations in this last year, especially um, she has remarked a lot about the love that Christians have. Um, and so just there have been so many opportunities to share truth with her that we love because God has loved us. Um, and, and just so many things we've talked about atonement. And I just feel like everything you can talk about, we've talked about. And it's not just me. It's so many other ladies on our team have just been able to share with her. Um, so if you could pray that the gospel would take root in Lisa's life and her whole family, mm. we would love that. That's great. We gladly join you in praying for that. <laughs> now, when we talk to you guys, a common uh, conversation we have when we talk about our weaknesses is a fear of sharing the gospel, you know, what evangelism. Is that something you guys struggle with? Is, is, um, and if so, what do you do about it? Um, I mean, I think every conversation we have a, a choice of, of where we're going to take this. Are we going to go into uncomfortable territory that may get a little dicey or are we going to take the easy path and I definitely get nervous I get butterflies in my stomach when I can see these conversations coming and so I just pray like God help me to be faithful help me to be bold help me to walk through doors that you open give me language to speak this truth Um, but it's still it's hard it's a choice yeah, I think in some ways, too, it's almost easier sharing in our context because um, everybody there believes in this idea of God, um, and so they, they want to talk. They want to actually talk to us about our beliefs to maybe sway our thoughts, and so it's, it's easy to enter into these conversations. I think something else that makes it easier is it's not my, my, my main culture. I don't pick up on all the cues and the nonverbal communications, and that means I don't know when I'm being awkward sometimes, right? And so I can just <laughs> plow ahead and let's talk and... Um, I don't feel the same pressures that I do sometimes here in America where I, I understand every little nuance among my own people. Yeah, well, I got to say it's comforting to know that you guys, our heroes, get butterflies in your tummy <laughs> when you're about to share the gospel with someone because that's something we experience. And so a great reminder to, to pray for boldness and wisdom. Yeah, thank you. So, what you know, Aaron, you, you talked about the differences and how they bring up these big conversations. What are some other differences in sharing the gospel in your context versus here in Albuquerque? Yeah, I think one thing is, um, and this is something that I would hope to carry with, carry with me uh, in the future where, wherever I am, whether it's North Africa, another missions context, or back here in the States, is living with a, an intentional purpose. Like, just, you know, like with, with Richard, hey, I've got this guy in the car with me for four hours. Can we listen to the Bible together? Um, we go to the same restaurants, and I look for the same checkers when I go to the grocery store so we can develop relationships. I'm trying to just be strategic and, and looking for opportunities to bring up eternal truths. So I would hope to continue that. I didn't do that here in the States before. I just, I just lived. I didn't think about it. But living overseas has opened my eyes to that kind of strategic um, intentionality. May we all be so strategic. That's great. So, you know, I really like John Piper, how he talks, basically anything he talks about missions I love, but one of the things he talks about is how the church is like holding the rope 
for missionaries. So you have this idea of you know the missionary that's that's climbing this this cliffside, and there's the church holding the rope, their security, their their safety net. Um, so what are some ways that DSC uh, supports you guys well? What are some things we could do uh, to continue to support you well? Um, we feel so loved by this body. Um, and we feel that when we come back and all of these people ask how we're doing or they ask like specific questions about how the believers are doing that we interact with or how our children are or we can just tell that people are praying for us and that is so encouraging. Um, we also um, have this group of people called the care team and so they receive like kind of our most immediate prayer requests and they meet and pray for us or send us little packages or um, even send people out to visit with us and all of those are so, so, so deeply encouraging. I was telling uh, Mr. C, it's one thing to like share stories with people, but then to have someone actually come and see it and and hear the sounds and see the donkeys in the street and like go to the market, it's just a whole another level or like meet and interact with the people that you're asking people to pray for. It's just, it takes it to a whole nother level to have those shared experiences. Um, what else? I think we're, we're really thankful, too, for the financial generosity and faithfulness of the church. Um, the fact is living overseas in a culture that's not our own, in a language that's not our own, um, that's stressful. And one thing that we don't feel stressed about is our financial support. And we, we know co-workers in other cities who aren't from a church, uh, who, don't, who don't have a church sending them, behind them. And there is a significant amount of time and stress and emotional energy they have to expend just to make sure they can remain on the field. And so... Um, because of your generosity and faithfulness in giving, uh, we feel incredibly supported by that. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I think, too, is Meredith alluded to this, but the relational connection we share with you guys, um, whether it's here or I know Josiah's collected um, Christmas like photos around Christmas time or Christmas cards and sent those out in packages. And, and Meredith will tell you, I'm like, I'm like on the verge of crying because just seeing <laughs> your faces and, and reading these cards that you've sent, um, and, and knowing that we're, that we're remembered and that it truly is a partnership, we feel so loved by that relational connectedness, and um, we're thankful for that. Yeah, praise God. We're so thankful for you guys. And thank you guys for being here. Um, it's a show of support for uh, the, the C's, so we're thankful for that. Uh, don't leave it to the staff to care for them. Uh, go up and ask them questions, take interest in them, and pr- keep praying for them. We, we need the whole church's support for them. So lastly, we've got Richard and Lisa. What are some things we can be praying for your family? Yeah, I think, um, so we were, in, we were in our country for the uh, entire duration of COVID, and uh, the G's, of course, came back last summer, so there was a period where we were, we were just there. Um, we feel, feel kind of worn out, feel tired. It's early in the summer, thankfully, but pray that, that God would be faithful to strengthen us and re-equip us as we return uh, later this fall in September to the field. Um, we're so excited to be here on, on Sunday mornings and at Christ Church on Sunday nights and visiting with you all throughout the week and coming to visit community groups. Pray that God would use that to, to strengthen our, our weak hands, that it would be his strength and his power that empowers us to go. Um, pray for our kids, um, and actually for all of us, but specifically our kids, as they um, spend time with grandparents and cousins whom they haven't seen in two years. Uh, normally our parents will come out to our country and visit at least once a year. And so we, we haven't had that for the past two years. 
and I know their hearts are um, eager to be here. Um, anything else? Um, we always ask that you would pray for the salvation of our kids. Um, We've seen um, solid evidences of grace in our oldest daughter in the past year. She came to us and kind of shared that she believes now and, and how she got to that place, which is really sweet to experience as a parent. Um, and we have some other kids where there's just doesn't appear to be any interest that's visible on the surface. So keep praying for them, please. Um, that's, one of the, that's another thing we love about the church is the community that our kids get to see. You know, this idea of Christian faith isn't just mom and dad's idea. It's not Mr. and Mrs. G's idea. There's actually a whole community of people of all different ages um, who, who believe the same thing and would testify to it and, and can communicate that in different ways to our kids. So that's something we're excited about for the summer. Um, I feel like there's something else on the tip of the tongue, but it's not coming. I don't know. The only other thing that comes to mind is um, just while we're apart from the country that we normally live in, we're still trying to stay connected to relationships there and um, texting. I've been texting a lot with the two local believers that are women there. And so just praying that God would allow those relationships to be maintained. I still want to walk with them and encourage them even while we're apart. Yeah, and the last thing that I remember came to me. Um, we have a, a young woman from Christ Church who has come out to uh, work educationally or to teach our uh, oldest son. He has some special learning needs. Um, and she's told us that she's going to be able to teach this, this coming academic year, but not be able to continue teaching in that role in subsequent years. So we're praying that God would bring another teacher for us for the 2022-23 school year for our oldest son. Yeah, that's great. We're... I just got to say that, you know, uh, God's call in your life was affirmed through DSC. You guys were sent out by us, and you have been faithful to your calling. You have honored us well. Uh, so we're, we're just very thankful for our gospel partnership with you guys. So now join me as I pray for them. God, we thank you so much for saving Mr. and Mrs. C., that is a supernatural work. It's not something they've earned, but something Christ has earned. Lord, we, we thank you so much, and we pray that you would preserve them, that you would hold them tightly, and that uh, when they stand before you, they will be told, well done, my good and faithful servants, Lord. Uh, we pray for their kids. We pray that you would save them. We thank you for the profession of faith from their oldest daughter, Lord. We pray that she would continue in that, that she would keep confessing every day, every moment of the day for the rest of her days. Lord, we pray for Richard. We pray for uh, Lisa. We pray that you would save them. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity uh, that uh, Mr. and Mrs. C have had in, in sharing uh, the gospel with them, of being able to explain scripture with them. Uh, Lord, we pray that your word would not return void, Lord. Open blind eyes to see your goodness. Lord, uh, we lastly pray that this summer would be one of rest and, uh, and encouragement for them as they prepare to go back to the field. Lord, we pray that you'd bless this service for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and, uh, and sing again.
ourselves and we know that that is true because of Jesus that we can tell our souls to not be afraid and arise and boldly approach the eternal throne of grace because his mercy 
is indeed Lord. Father, we thank you for mercy. You could have taken the record of our sins, held it in front of our faces, and used it as a warrant to condemn us to hell. But you took the record of our sins and our failures, you placed them in the palm of your son's hand, and you nailed them to the cross. 
we thank you for mercy. You withhold from us the punishment we deserve, and you preserve justice by making Jesus the object of your wrath for our sins. And we thank you for grace. You credit to us his righteousness. He lived the life that we could not. He is our curse bearer and our law keeper. And if we take him as our treasure, we stand before you righteous and forgiven and we're promised a place in your kingdom. And that would be enough if you just made us your kids. But wonder of wonders, we're not just your children. We are co-laborers with our elder brother Jesus in this thing called the Great Commission. We get to be a part of the family business of making disciples of all nations. What grace. Thank you for this church, for the gospel story that you've been writing now for 30 years. We pray that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a couple of years, you can be seated. Once I did a wedding service as an early pastor, and I forgot to tell everyone to sit down. <laughs> I get nudged by the bride. She's like, you can tell them to sit down now. <laughs> oh, boy. Stories to tell. A couple of years ago, DSC celebrated her 30th anniversary, and if you recall, there was this massive infographic in the foyer. Do you remember this? There was some pamphlets that were handed out, a video that Memo made, and it was basically a timeline of the last three decades. That's what this giant infographic was. It highlighted these major moments and events that have shaped this church and her gospel journey, and what a journey it has been. Amen? Well, in 2005, something significant occurred. DSC asked 1615, the ministry that I serve with, to come alongside and to help you focus your global vision and strategy. And on that infographic is our logo. You cite that as a major moment in the 30-year history of this church. Our ministry is named after the reference in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 15, which says, Go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation. And as Josiah mentioned, we come alongside churches. We help them to clarify and understand their global mission, to answer the question, God, what is it you've called us to accomplish globally? That's important that churches do that. Then we help them develop endemic vision, vision that really accounts for their unique gifts, talents, and passions as a local body of believers. We help them mobilize internally and externally, and we connect them to strategic opportunities around the world, particularly among the least reached and the unreached. That's what we do. Now, understand, prior to bringing in 1615, DSC, being a God-glory-oriented church, believed in missions, supported missions, but did not have an intentional vision. So at that time, in 2005, prior to that, missions was more reactive than it was proactive. And also, something else behind the, to, the move to bring us in was this growing desire not to do missions by proxy, not to outsource missions to the missions professionals, but to engage the gifts and the talents of everyone in this church in the mission of God. Well, 
Not only was this a significant time for DSC because the mission's vision you know today was forged out of that season with the leadership of this church in 2005. It was a season of prayer, fasting, and worship. Well, the vision you know today came out of that season. But again, this was not only significant for DSC, it was significant for 1615. You may not know this, but you're the first church that went through our coaching process. We were about one or two years old at the time, I don't remember exactly, and we knew what we were called to do, to come alongside local churches and to help them join God in his mission. But we had been doing modular stuff, kind of one-off stuff. But we'd been working on this coaching process because we had this conviction that people mobilize churches. Programs can be helpful, but churches need people and they need a process. So we developed this process we call 3D, Discover, Design, Deploy. Discover where you're at when it comes to missions and where God's calling you to go. Design a strategy to mobilize internally and externally and then deploy that strategy. So you're the first church that engaged in our pilot process. So we are a part of your history and our logos on that 30-year history, that timeline. But understand, you are also a part of our history. Since 2005, our footprint has grown, our reach has grown. We have worked with churches in 46 of the 50 states, also in Canada, and many of those churches Majority are now engaging unreached and least reached peoples all over the planet. And it all started right here. We have an affiliate organization that we started in Holland called Mission 18. Long story, I'll tell you about it sometime perhaps, but there's a missions coaching group in Holland called Missions 18, and these men are zealous for the gospel. They love Christ. And they have a passion to mobilize Dutch churches to engage the least reach and the unreach. Basically a Dutch version of what we do. In fact, I, I had a meeting with those brothers today. So do you see what's going on here? Because this church continues to sow into the ministry of 1615, you are helping to mobilize churches now around the world to engage people groups all over the planet. It's amazing. There's this gospel chain reaction that's taking place and it's all traceable back to a season of prayer and worship and fasting that happened right here at Desert Springs. Does that give you goosebumps? Amazing. So this church has a special place in my heart because it's my church, because of its love for the gospel and for Christ, but also because of what God set in motion here. There are waves of gospel grace that are breaking on distant places and peoples, and it's all traceable back to what God, the Holy Spirit was really doing here again in 2005. So I want to thank you for the partnership that we share in the gospel. It is precious to me. So I wonder how many of you are familiar with the name Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. That's a mouthful, isn't it? A couple of you are. He's German, as you can tell. He's an incredibly important figure in world missions history, and his story is inspirational, but it's also instructive. Though he left this earth in 1760, his life today continues to move the people of God to be a part of the mission of God. Isn't that amazing? That a life well-lived, a life lived to the gospel can continue to bear fruit long after that person has flown to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Well, that's him. Let me tell you a little bit about the count. 
He was born in Germany in 1700 to a very wealthy, political, politically active family. But politics were not what God was calling him to. While he was still a young man, he was rescued by Christ. And not long after that rescue, just a few years after, at the age of 27, he founded a Christian community called, I might butcher this, but I'll try, Hernhut. It's spelled Hernhut, but I think the German is Hernhut. If you got any Germans in here, you can correct me afterwards or tell me I did a good job. This community, its name means the Lord's Watch. And you may not have heard of this community. I won't say it anymore. But you may be familiar with the Moravian um, church movement, the Moravian missionary movement that they launched. And this church movement was known for many things, but most of all, this church movement was known for its unquenchable missionary zeal. In 1727, they began the community. That's when it started. And at the very same time, they started a round-the-clock prayer watch. This was kind of an instant church plant. When the community started in 1727, there were 300 members in the church. And various members at the leading of Zinzendorf covenanted to pray. And a significant part of their covenant to pray included praying for the nations that the gospel would extend beyond its current borders. Now, this was no ordinary covenant, folks. Their aim was to see that every hour of every day, someone from this community was there praying. Their goal was to make sure, this is amazing, that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, incense was rising to heaven in prayer. And again, a significant part of their prayer was prayer for the nations. Now, what's even more remarkable, you are sitting down, hold on to your seats. This prayer watch lasted unbroken for a century. A hundred years, someone was present, praying at that church for the spread of the gospel globally. Ian Bounds said, every mighty move of the Spirit of God has had its source in the prayer chamber. I believe that if we're going to see a world-changing missions movement take place today, it's going to be marked by prayer, folks. This is the means of grace that God has given us to extend the gospel. Well, in 1792, 65 years later, the prayer watch, of course, still unbroken, this little community that was 300 at its inception, folks, 65 years later, had sent out 300 missionaries to the unreached peoples of the West Indies, Greenland, Turkey, Lapland, and North America. And you really need to understand the seriousness of this, the gravity, the weight of this. This was against all odds. It is difficult to send missionaries today. We know that. We've heard testimony of our missionaries that are working in the country that they're in. <laughs> I have to be careful I don't slip here, right? You've heard testimony. It's tough sledding. It's hard. It's spiritual warfare. Folks, back then, the biosecurity issues were far worse than they are today. Vaccines hardly existed. People often packed their belongings in a coffin. That's not just folklore, folks. That was really what happened. They often didn't return. Getting there alone, there's no airplanes. It's ship. 
Some months just to get there. Stories and stories of missionaries never even getting to the field they were in because they fell ill on the ship on the way. So this was against all odds. What was driving them to be so radically committed to making Jesus known among the nations? That's a great question because I want some of that fire, some of that passion. Well, if we look to the life of the count, I think we'll find some answers. When Zinzendorf finished university, he took a trip to Europe like folks still do today. Well, in the pre-COVID era, at least they did that. And he went to view the cultural high spots. And something very unexpected happened on this trip that would not only change his life trajectory, but it would change the eternal destinies of peoples all over the world. And it would continue, as we've said, for hundreds of years to be an inspiration for missionaries to actually go to the field themselves. He visited an art museum in Dusseldorf. I may have messed that one up too. And he saw a painting by Domenico Fette entitled Ecce Omo. Latin for behold the man. And this was an image of a portrait of Christ before Pilate. There it is right there. Being presented to the crowds after being beaten by the Romans. And Pilate's words were behold the man. Crown of thorns pressed down on his head. Blood running down his face. And there was this little kind of placard behind, um, underneath the, the picture, the painting and it said this I have done this for you what have you done for me and all of his life Zinzendorf looked back to this encounter as utterly life changing he said it was as if the whole world stopped spinning as he gazed at the painting and he stood there as it were looking at the Savior, suffer and bleed. And this is what he said to himself. I have loved him for a long time, but I've never actually done anything for him. From now on, I will do whatever he leads me to do. The count surrendered. You know that moment in your life, don't you? Surrender? I mean, it's when the gospel makes its way from here to here. When the Spirit quickens you and you're saying, that's what I need. Well, this was his point of surrender. And for the rest of his life, the blood of Jesus had a central place in his life and ministry. Now, the story goes like this, that the first two young Moravian missionaries boarded a ship in Copenhagen to set sail for the West Indies, perhaps never to return. And by the way, these first two missionaries indentured themselves. They were going to the West Indies to reach West Africans who were slaves serving in the sugar plantations. And so in order to reach them, they knew, knew they had to live among them. They had to incarnate, as it were, learn their language, understand what it was like. Can you imagine? I'm going to sell myself into slavery because the people group I want to reach, they're slaves. That's what they did. By the way, 20 of the first 29 died in those first few years. Well, as they boarded the ship to set sail for the West Indies from Copenhagen, they lifted their hands as if in sacred pledge. And they called out to their friends on the shore and they said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. This became the rally cry of the Moravian church movement. They knew that Jesus had purchased with 
the price of his own blood, souls from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And they were going out to gather some of them into his fold. And folks, this brings us to our text tonight. I know it's a long intro, but I had to set this one up. So Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read the whole passage. It's quite short, the whole chapter. And I'm not going to do an exposition of all 14 verses. We don't have that much time tonight. But I'm going to draw out some elements, some insights that I think are relevant for this Missions Emphasis Week. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. In this breathtaking passage, the Holy Spirit peels back the curtains of time and space, and we get a glimpse into the end that all of history is moving towards, folks. You want to know what the end of history looks like? It looks like this. We see the Lamb of God receiving His reward, the reward of His suffering. I want you to notice carefully the words used in the passage to worship the Lamb. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Friends, by his blood, Jesus has ransomed people from every people group in the world, every language, every tribe, every culture, every ethnic cluster, 
and the reward of his suffering is the ingathering of worshipers from all the peoples of the world. In other words, the blood of Jesus was not just shed to purchase us, but to purchase the worldwide church of God, including those sheep that are not yet in the fold. That's the reward of his suffering, worshiping peoples from world over. Several years ago, I was coaching a church in Philadelphia. They went through a process that was pioneered here. And like you, they ended up on the other side with a compelling vision, a gospel vision. And they identified a few places in the world that were gospel destitute. And one of their areas of focus is in West Central Mexico, among the Tarahumata people. Maybe you've heard of this people living in New Mexico, uh, famous for their running ability. There was a New York Times bestseller for a long time called Born to Run. It's about the Tarahumata people. I recommend you pick it up and read it. But this was one of their areas of focus, kind of what the Rabinal Achi is to DSC, this people group was to this church. Uh, and similarly, Bibleists. So they engage in a Bible translation partnership with Wycliffe, just like you did. Like you, they've sent out many teams over the years, short-term, to do community health evangelism, things of this nature, equipping the Tadahumata people to reach their own people. Well, a couple years after that vision had been rolled out, I was invited to come and speak, and I was invited to speak at a Lord's Supper service. And just like this church, if you, if you asked anyone in the church at this time, tell us about your global vision, someone would have, I mean, they would have said the Tadahumata and a couple other places as well, but they knew the Tadahumata. This was kind of the centerpiece of their global strategy at that time. And Gil Trusty, who happens to be a very dear friend even to this day, in fact, I texted him earlier tonight. I said, I'm going to share the story that, you know, is indelibly marked on my heart. So communion has passed out, and Pastor Gil says, I'd really appreciate it if you'd all wait and let's partake together. So the elements have all been distributed in the church. And Gil says, health permitting, let's go to our knees. Let, let's follow the example of the elders here. Health permitting. And Gil pointed to the remaining bread and wine, the, the bread and, and the cup that had not been passed out. You always... Make extra when you have a Lord's Supper service, right? You don't want to run out. And so there was remaining bread and, and remaining cups. And he said, these are reserved for the Tadahumata people. They're symbols to remind us of the Tadahumata people who do not yet eat and drink from this table. They don't know about this feast but they will. Reservations have been made, but invitations must be sent. He said, we must pursue what Jesus bled to obtain, the worship of the Tadahumata people. He said, as he raised his hands, knowing well the story of Zins and Dorf and the Moravians, he said, may the lamb that was slain Receive the reward of his suffering, the worship of the Tadahumata. Those are prophetic words. Very gospel destitute people. There are some gospel breakthroughs happening among the Tadahumata today.
It's slow going, but it's happening. There's stories of conversion, the miracle of new birth. There's baptism. There's Tadahumata pastors who are being trained in the scriptures. They have the Bible in their heart language now. Those words were prophetic. And of course they were because we know that Jesus is going to penetrate every nation, tribe, and tongue with the gospel, right? So the word is running swiftly among the Tadahumata today. But that thing that happened at that Lord's Supper service would forever change the way I approach the Lord's Supper. My family will testify to this. So when I take communion now, I notice the remaining cups and the uneaten bread, and I remember the nations. And I remember what he bled to obtain, the worship of those peoples. In John 10, 16, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Reservations have been made, but in order for those other sheep to come to the table, invitations must be sent, folks. We must pursue what Jesus bled to obtain. We must beckon them. We must summons them to become worshipers, to come to the table and feast at the feet of our King. I want you to notice something else about this scene, and I believe it's yet another reason when we celebrate the Lord's table and we remember his death, we ought to remember the nations as well. Look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5 with me. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals. Again, you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every nation, tribe, and tongue. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fall down on their faces before the Lamb. They hit the deck. And in one hand, they have a harp. That's for worship. They're going to worship him with music. And in the other, a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, this is a staggering thought, folks. Those bowls include our prayers. They include the prayers of the Moravians that were lifted to heaven for a century long. Those prayers are contained in these bowls. And we are not told the exact nature of these prayers. Are these the cumulative prayers of the saints in the church age? Perhaps. But I will tell you this, at least the context suggests that at least some of those prayers were prayers for the nations. Context is king here, right? We know that. So we can conclude that some of these prayers were prayers for the nations one of the primary ways we beckon the nations to come feast at the communion table of our king folks is through our prayers. It's this wonderful means of grace. He allows us to be a part of the imminent completion of history's greatest movement. He takes our prayers for the nations and he puts them in these bowls. This is just Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to the end of the chapter. 
Jesus sees the multitudes, it says. He sees them. He looks at them. He lifts his eyes. And he notices that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're shepherdless sheep. They don't know the care of the shepherd. And it says that in response to seeing this harassed and helpless multitude of lost sheep, he says, therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest field. So he sees the harassed and helpless multitudes. He's filled with compassion, it says. And this word in the original language, folks, it means a yearning in the bowels. His stomach was tied in knots. His gut was wrenched at the thought, at the sight of these people that did not worship the Father. And a fitting response is prayer. And, and, and that word translated means to beg. It speaks of a, of a beggar who's saying, I, I need that morsel of bread or I die. That, that's the context of that word when it's used. That's a fitting response to having your stomach tied in knots. So compassion, burden, followed by therefore ask. The therefore is an inference to his gut being wrenched. Oh, that God would wrench our guts over our neighbors who don't know him or worship him and over the nations that do not yet worship him and that we would pray, God, we beg you, raise up more. Use me. Raise up more to go to the ends of the earth. And so when we come to the table, folks, we not only receive from Jesus grace and mercy, but as an act of worship, we pray that the nations would also come to experience his grace and mercy. We pray, may the lamb that was slain receive his reward. God, we're going to fill those bowls. He invites us to fill the bowls with prayers for the nations. And these are like a sweet-smelling aroma to Jesus. Incense rising in his nostrils. What a beautiful picture. Bowls full of incense. Think of your prayers as incense that please God. Fill those bowls with prayers. Now, when we come to the Lord's table in a moment, and with the cup and the bread proclaim his death, will you be able to say to him, will I be able to say to him, Jesus, I want you to obtain what you suffered for. I desire what you blood to obtain. I want you to receive the reward of your suffering, the worship of the Rabban Alachi people, the worship of the Navajo people, the, the worship of the peoples of that country I can't name. <laughs> if you look at your life, and come up wanting as I will. Don't forget this. The reward of his suffering is the ingathering of the nations, folks, but it is also the forgiveness of sins. It is also justification by faith and reconciliation with God and ultimately triumph over Satan. So as you come tonight, receive his mercy and grace.
the assurance that your sins have been forgiven, that you are justified by faith. You are justified by something that happened before you were ever even born, without any help from you. You were justified by his life, his death, his resurrection. Receive the confidence that you are reconciled with him and that triumph is your destiny. But will you also fill the bowls with prayers? Think of those remaining cups on the table even as you leave here tonight. The bread yet uneaten. Let them be symbols of the peoples who do not yet feast at that table, but they will as you pursue what Jesus bled to obtain. Now, I'm going to close this in prayer, but I'm going to use a passage of Scripture to do that tonight. It's Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. So I'm just going to read the passage as a prayer, and then Josiah is going to come up, and he's going to lead us at the Lord's table. You know what, I'm going to ask you to do something. Um, you don't have to turn there. You can close your eyes. This is a prayer. If you're one of those guys that prays with your eyes open like I sometimes do, you're okay. But imagine with me this heavenly scene. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb, folks. This is where it's headed. And so will you pray with me? Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, the nations, people from every language, tribe, tongue, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Amen. Amen. May we remember the nations as we take the Lord's Supper, for he is worthy of our praise and the praise of the nations. Well, if, when you came in, you should have walked by a table with uh, the elements, the bread and the cup. Uh, if you didn't grab it and... Uh, You'll still have time because we're going to sing a song before we take it together. But I want to encourage you, if you're not a believer, this isn't for you. Uh, if you've never had, if you don't confess that you're a sinner, if you've never turned from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ for the sole hope of your salvation and, and, and for the remission of your sins, then this isn't for you. But I want to encourage you uh, that no one's going to notice that you're not taking it. And even if they do, by taking this, they're confessing they're a sinner. And so they can't judge you. 
And so I want to encourage you, instead of being discouraged, go and have a conversation after the service. Uh, there are people around, uh, there will be pastors up front that would love to talk with you and to pray with you. Uh, but also, this is a time of examination. We're going to sing a song, and I want to encourage you to examine, uh, have the Holy Spirit examine your heart. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made? Is all creation growing? It is a new creation coming. And is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of Does 
1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. it says, uh, Paul writing says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat and remember the Lord. And then in verse 25, it says, In the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink and remember the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the bread and the cup. That is a reminder of Christ's atoning death. We also thank you that as the Apostle Paul said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we proclaim that Christ lived, he died, and that he is coming again. This is our hope. This is our unity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's stand and sing in response.
If Christ is your treasure, then he is yours forevermore. Well, it's been wonderful worshiping with you guys tonight. Um, we're not going to have the auction items available tonight, but they will be available uh, during office hours, Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., or you can email Debbie um, or missions at dscabq.com if you want to pick it up on a Sunday, but we just don't want a mad rush on Sunday and, uh, and add to the confusion. Uh, so um, I want to leave you with this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. It says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.